0: Well, as Joe alluded to earlier, after 39 weeks of journeying through the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible, today we begin the New Testament, which is very exciting. And and if you haven't been doing the daily Bible reading, and I know there's one or two of you who haven't been and you know who you are, I want to invite you today because now that we're in the New Testament, you never have to read more than four chapters a day. And if you start with me today, you can read through the whole New Testament between now and the second week of October, and you never have to read more than four chapters a day. That is very doable. Now, when you do read the Bible, in case any of you happen to, and I recommend it as a Christian, it's not a bad thing to do to read the Bible. When you read the Bible, it's helpful to look at questions that appear in the text, questions that are being asked in either direction, because often the questions are questions that the biblical writer wants you to be thinking about and wants you to answer for yourself. For example, in the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 8 and verse 27, the disciples ask... What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is, Jesus asks his disciples. In Matthew 21 and verse 10, on what we call Palm Sunday, the people ask about Jesus, who is this? That's the question The entire New Testament wants you to answer. Who is this Jesus? Who do you think he is? And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is telling the story of Jesus, all for the purpose of encouraging you to answer the question, what kind of person can say and do the things that Jesus says and does? Listen to our next text, also from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. And this is part of the journey when Jesus and disciples, the disciples are on their way toward Jerusalem. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake. Will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. This is the gospel for today. How much do you know about Jesus? To answer that question, I have given the welcomers a test that they come down and pass out the exam. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't really do that. Don't get nervous. You know, most of us know at least a little bit about Jesus. If we've been coming to a church a little bit or grew up or, you know, some of us learned about Jesus when we were young children. And we can recall some facts, maybe a parable or two, a couple stories But often what happens is as people grow up, the number of people who give Jesus serious consideration, serious thought, tends to diminish. You know, there's an incident in the 12th chapter of Matthew where Jesus asked his critics in verse 5, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? And the truth is, you know, many of us haven't read much about Jesus in the Bible for ourselves. And for many of us, you know, we hit our teenage years or our 20s, and Jesus just kind of disappears off our personal radar screens, and we get wrapped up in other things. And, you know, for some people, they just have trouble believing some of the stuff they read about Jesus doing with his walking on water stuff and raising people from the dead and feeding 5,000 people with a kid's lunch. And, you know, they they just find it hard to believe. And some people just don't think Jesus matters much. I mean, that was a long time ago, like those buildings we saw in those photos from Greece. Yet I would argue that what a person does with Jesus, what you do with Jesus, is the single most important decision you will make In your entire life it has the farthest reaching consequences of any decision you make in your life no single individual has had a greater impact on history than Jesus and he began a spiritual movement that has influenced billions with a B billions of people Over the last 2,000 years and your image of Jesus, what you think about Jesus, shapes how you understand and live your life in every aspect. Jesus, as a human being, was a first century Palestinian Jew. He was probably born around the year 6 or the year 5 BC. His parents fled as refugees from Judah to Egypt to escape the murderous scheme of King Herod the Great. And when he was still a little toddler, his family returned to Nazareth in Judea, which at that time was an occupied Roman province. So Jesus grew up as a member of a conquered people, living and coping with a difficult life under an occupying foreign power. And when he was a boy of 11 or 12 years old, according to Luke, Jesus visited the temple in Jerusalem. And not much is known about the intervening years from then until his adulthood. We do know that Pontius Pilate was appointed as the Roman governor in the year 26. And within a year, Jesus was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist and began his public ministry. And during his ministry, he preached about the kingdom of God. He healed people who were sick. He taught how people were to live as children of God with Love and compassion and courage and kindness and generosity. And he was put to death as a common criminal on a cross. This Jesus is many things to many different people. Some people think of Jesus as the divine Savior, the Son of God whose death on the cross enables the forgiveness of our sins for all who believe in him, and gives us the gift of eternal, abundant, joyful life. Others relate to Jesus as a teacher whose parables and stories and vivid images describe a life of purpose and meaning and significance. Others see Jesus as a prophet of justice. Who condemned the spiritual emptiness, the moral corruption, the violence and grasping for power of those in leadership. Well, giving hope to the poor and the needy and those who were looked down upon or were outcasts in society. All these things are true of Jesus. He was all of that and more. Now the Jesus we meet specifically in the Gospel of Matthew emphasizes the importance of doing God's will rather than merely claiming to believe in God or claiming to do God's will. It's, the Gospel of Matthew uses the word fruit or fruits as a metaphor for good works or good deeds 17 times. More than any other book in the New Testament. And Matthew's Gospel is set apart from the other three Gospels by its fusion of what we say and what we do. Because for Matthew, it's not enough to merely say Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's got to show in your life. And this is seen throughout the gospel, especially in chapter 7 and verse 21, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And that same thought closes out the Gospel of Matthew and what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus says the church is to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus calls everyone who will accept the invitation into a personal relationship with God that leads you on a journey of transformation that shapes your entire life from now right on into eternity. Back in Matthew chapter 1, the gospel writer traces Jesus' family tree back through the kings of Israel. And in chapter 2 then we read, In the time of Herod the king, wise men from the east came asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? And we're told that King Herod and all Jerusalem were frightened by this news. Herod was frightened because the Jewish people were hoping for a political and military leader like King David had been who would deliver them from the Romans. And Herod was all about holding on to power and the whole city and nation might erupt into violence if the patriots and zealots had a true son of David to rally behind. And Herod ordered the murder of all the little children who had been born in the area according to the time that Jesus might have been born to prevent Jesus from growing up and leading such a revolt against him. But Herod's dreadful plan failed to stop God's redemptive plan. And on Palm Sunday, the child that Herod had sought to eliminate comes to Jerusalem as a mature man. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem from that eastern gate, comes into a city torn by divisions and power struggles, frequently erupting into violence and into bloodshed. And he's acting out a parable about what God is offering to those who will not only believe in him, but who will do God's will. Jesus doesn't ride into Jerusalem, as Joe said. He doesn't come in on a war horse at the head of troops, armed for battle. He comes humbly on a donkey or a colt. His followers are grasping tree branches, not spears. They're shouting, Hosanna, not attack. This is actually a rather strange sort of gathering. And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Because people wondered, who is this? Is he a prophet? Is he a troublemaker? Is he a teacher? Is he going to overthrow our oppressors? And some of those who first followed Jesus did so in the hope that he would be the one to rally the people to overthrow the Romans. And one of his disciples was even known as Simon the Zealot. And that referred to his political views, not to his passion for following Christ. James and John were nicknamed Sons of Thunder. A title just as fitting for revolutionaries as it is for fishermen. And Jesus had to deal with the fact that people don't understand who he is or what he's doing. And in John chapter 6 and verse 15 it says, When Jesus realized they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Even after all the events of Holy Week, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, when the risen Christ is with the disciples, they still ask him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking about Jesus' purpose, first and foremost, from a political point of view, which is wrong. Jesus' leadership is transforming in many ways, but... As Leighton Ford wrote, Jesus saw the heart of the human problem as the problem of the human heart. A radical change from the inside out was at the core of his strategy. Jesus' strategy was not a political one which transformed earthly governments which then changed individual lives. Overthrowing the Romans and putting the Jewish people back in charge of the nation might provide some freedom, but it wouldn't bring the change that Jesus is after. Jesus' approach is a radical change in the hearts and lives of people altered by following him under the power of the Spirit of God. And Jesus' message aimed at the transformation of the human heart. Living out the gospel Jesus preached impacts every aspect of your life. It impacts your relationships, your economics, your politics, everything. Anything less falls short of the faith of Jesus Christ. So the son of David enters David's city. But the only throne this king finds is a cross. The only crown he receives is a crown of thorns. The city that should have welcomed him with fullest worship and joy and obedience Refuses to accept him or, frankly, is too busy to notice this humble leader or prophet or whoever he is. Now, it can be easy for us to think, by celebrating Palm Sunday, coming to worship, even taking a palm home, that we're acknowledging Jesus as king in a way that many in Jerusalem failed to do so all those years ago. Yet Matthew says it's not those who call Jesus Lord on Sunday who shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do God's will all during the week. It's not enough to shout, Hosanna, hallelujah, on Sunday. You have to live out your faith in Jesus on Monday. You're to live as if Christ entering your life and your heart makes a difference. So who is this strong yet gentle man Riding humbly and peacefully into the political and religious powder keg that is Jerusalem, at the beginning of the week that changed the history of the world, Matthew is asking you, you have to decide who is Jesus to you. Some are praising him, fewer truly understand what's going on and what his journey represents. Later this week, some will cry, crucify him, when he disappoints their political and religious aspirations. Others will be afraid of everything that unfolds and wonder if they will ever find the courage to speak about their connection with Jesus. Many people have some vague idea about the events that are coming up, but you must make up your own mind about what these events of Holy Week mean for you. Is Jesus the Son of God who died on the cross that you might be reconciled with God? Is he the prophet who reveals God's priorities and the teacher who shows you the path of life? Is he the Messiah? The leader who would change your heart, your life, your destiny, your eternity. What do you a photographer for a national magazine was assigned to shoot one of the large forest fires out west, and he was told that a small plane would be waiting for him at a little local airport to take him up, and so he arrived at the airstrip with just about an hour left before Sunday sundown, and sure enough, he saw the small Cessna plane, and he grabbed his bag, he ran, he jumped in with his equipment, and said to the pilot, let's go, and so the pilot Broad the plane to life, swung into the wind, and soon they were up in the air, and they were flying. And the photographer said to the pilot, okay, I want you to fly over the north side of the fire, and I want you to make several low-level passes. And the nervous pilot said, why? He said, because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer. That's what photographers do. I take pictures. And there was this pause, and then the pilot said, you mean you're not the flight instructor? In life, it's good to have a good instructor and to recognize who our instructor is. And there is none better than Jesus to instruct you in life. And as we begin Holy Week, I pray that you'll take a few moments in these days to ponder what Jesus endured in remaining faithful And remaining true to God for your sake. And by presenting Jesus as the long-awaited fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy and scripture and the true son of David, Matthew hopes by next Sunday you'll be able to answer the question of Palm Sunday, who is this? By saying what the centurion said who witnessed the crucifixion. Truly, this man, was God's Son. No matter what heartache or challenge you may be facing today, I pray the Holy Spirit will give you the courage and the faith and the strength to live as if you believe that Jesus is God's Son and that you will follow him faithfully as long as you live. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I pray today for all who are here and all who are listening. God, if there are any who have never taken the step of saying, yes, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I'm thankful that he not only taught me and showed me the path of how to live as your child, but that he died on the cross that I might be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live as his disciple. God, I pray even as I have shared those words that there might be some who would say, Lord, that is my prayer today, to say yes to Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest gift ever given, the one who humbled himself and took the form of a slave, that we might have life with you as part of your family. And Lord, we thank you that you validated who Jesus was by raising him from the dead and that he reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. In his name we pray, amen.